You're listening to the Crackpot Crones podcast with Terry Baum and Carolyn Myers. Hello, I'm Carolyn Myers. And I am Terry Baum. And together we are... The The Crackpot Crones. And in today's podcast, we're going to crack open our magical experience at the 1974 Amazon Music Project, a music festival of all women held under the glorious redwoods in the mountains of Santa Cruz, California. So... Two of my friends from college, from the theater department, were starting a new theater in Santa Cruz, the Bear Republic Theater. This was two men who were wonderful actors and directors, and they invited me to join them. So I moved up to Santa Cruz to become part of the Bear Republic Theater. It was less than ideal. I was the only woman in the group. They were really enlightened men for the time. They weren't creepy, sexist men. But the truth was, very often, I had a completely different opinion from everybody else when we were talking about what we were doing artistically. I considered that I was contributing this unique viewpoint, and they considered that I was a pain in the ass. So it was very frustrating to me. I had always had a lot of good woman friends. I was not yet a lesbian at all, but definitely lived in a world where women were very important. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded by only men. So when I heard about this Amazon music project, I called Carolyn up and I said, why don't you come up with a group of women from Santa Barbara? We can go to this thing together. Yes. And so a bunch of us wanted to do that. And I remember that we had five women because we were in my Volkswagen, and I remember it was pretty crowded. We'd all known Terry at the University of California at Santa Barbara. She just completed her master's there in theater. Lots of us had lived collectively. We had a community theater. We were very involved in the community, and losing her had been this tremendous loss. And so we were very excited to come up and see her and also to experience something none of us had ever experienced before, an all-women's music festival. It was a beautiful place. It was in the mountains. It was a kind of a club. It was Chateau Liberté. Was that the name of it? Yes, such a great name. Yeah. They had the people who planned this music festival rented it out for the day. So there was a swimming pool, and then there was the clubhouse. And there was a platform outside where the people were performing. It was quite amazing. People were half naked, whole naked. Women. This is all women. Only women. Only women. The only men that were there were there were a few men who worked at the place because this clubhouse was a popular clubhouse for maybe not mostly men, but certainly some biker groups used it some of the time. So this was a stretch for them, too, to do a women's only event. These things were quite new in 1974. So it was it was really very kind of ecstatic feeling. And to emphasize that in ourselves, we all dropped acid. 
That's right. It was magical, but maybe even more magical. It was a, I think it's an example where the outside magic really matched the inside magic of the LSD. Oh, that's a great way of saying it. Because most women were naked, or at least had their tops off. And there were, you know, four or five hundred women there. So there were lots of breasts everywhere and women jumping up and down in the water. And in addition to the performance stages, there were small groups of women improvising everywhere. And some of them had stage time and some of them were wandering around. It was like being in heaven. And one of the things I realized was that you don't realize this until you have a whole lot of naked women together. Every woman's breasts are different. Every single pair of breasts is unique. It's, a, it's an unlimited resource. <laughs> So the music was also incredible. And one of the groups that performed there was the Berkeley Women's Music Collective. I was later to move to Berkeley and I become a super fan, but I, I just fell in love with them. Their music was whimsical and very collective and very feminist. They all played instruments and they all wrote songs. And so each woman would sort of take the lead on the, a song she wrote with everyone else backing her up. And the songs where I, one of them was, it's a new day coming when you've got the bloods again. Uh, I'm going to go down to my free clinic, check out my cervix and what's in it. And there was a great song, I Still Ain't Satisfied. And it started with, they've got women on TV, but I still ain't satisfied. Because co-optation's all I see, and I still ain't satisfied. So this really gives you the vibe of the women's movement, women's liberation in 1974. And I think it's really important to say they were also really wonderful musicians. Yes, yes. This is not to say, when I say whimsical, this is not to say they weren't totally professional and fabulous. The collective continued until 1979 or 1980, and they went on to have careers in music, a lot of them. That was one of the wonderful things that we discovered was the quality of what women were doing. And that was really everywhere. People were not just messing around. They had, were very, very serious about their art and very accomplished, really wonderful. So at one point, I think we went into the clubhouse to cool off. There was a very tall, Amazonian, totally naked, African-American woman with a beard playing the piano. And there wasn't anybody listening until we came in. She was not somebody that we had known would be scheduled for the stage, and I guess she wasn't. She was just there. And this was really an ecstatic experience for me because she was an incredible, this was Gwen Avery. I don't even know if we, if we found out her name at that time, but she eventually became a good friend of mine. And a major, major town. I wanna be
she was a wild woman, truly, not just at that moment, but every moment of her life. They're just so totally spontaneous and unplanned. She was singing her heart out, and we were just completely mesmerized. That was truly a magical experience because she wasn't even on the stage. It was. It was actually not just like, but it was finding a hidden gem. In my mind, this might be the acid talking. She also had sort of a pompadour haircut that was brightly colored like birds of paradise and a beard and was naked. But at least she had a beard and was naked yeah, and was that's for sure. incredibly talented. Yeah. And her, her piano playing is unbelievable and her voice incredible and also her relationship with whoever she's performing yeah. for at once incredibly inviting and also challenging. I mean, really an amazing audience relationship. Yeah, she was actually famous for that. Gwen had this special way of relating. Yes. And um, it was so wonderful. So and I was we... with these women. I was with women after being surrounded by men, 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 and feeling that I'm not in the right place. And these men who I were my good friends are never going to understand what I want to do in theater. And suddenly I was in women's heaven. Yeah. It was so great. So there we are, really in heaven, in Am in Amazonia. Um, but it turns out there is a fly in the ointment that the women's movement has to meet over and over again. <laughs> Terry calls them uh, people of the testosteronic uh, persuasion, <laughs> and in this case, they took the form of a small group of bikers who roared up on their bikes and were probably blasted out of their minds by what they beheld before them. But instead of doing the obvious worshipful thing of jumping off their bikes and bowing on the ground and then humbly walking away, suppressed by the great glory they saw in front of them, they had an adverse reaction. I was standing near the gate. I, I don't remember now if there was a rotation of tasks or if you could just sign up to do this or what. But there were a small group of us who were standing by the gates where these men were. And there was one woman who had stepped forward and she was really confronting them. And they were upset. They wanted to come in. They didn't understand what was happening. They couldn't believe they were locked out of a place that they frequented. So anyhow, I was not there when this happened, when these guys drove up. But of course, word spread. There was four or five hundred women. Yes, there. yes. It was a lot of women there. So we all trooped down to the gate. And I saw these men on their hogs. And they were unpleasant. They threw beer cans and they were yelling and they were making noise. The small group of us that was there at the fence, we looked back and saw the Legion getting riled and starting to approach. And we could see that this could be bad. And so we became an ad hoc negotiating committee and tried to convince these men that even though they were mighty male warriors, they were outnumbered 100 to 1. 100 to 1, 100 yeah. to 1. And that things would not end well for them and they should leave. I was not up the front in actual contact with the invaders and I had an enormous desire to just kill them. There were so many more of us than them. And it seemed an appropriate action to take at that moment. And I knew I wasn't going to take that action. People with wiser heads like Carolyn were up there negotiating. 
But I had a vision. I felt this incredible rage towards men, towards the patriarchy. And I decided at that moment that I was going to start a theater of only women. And we would explore this rage. We would do a play about this rage. That, that's right. This is where the vision of Lilith, a women's theater, started. It's a, it's an incredible, mythological, <laughs> yet absolutely true origin story. It wasn't over, I don't think, my time with the Brea Republic Theater, but it was very clear that I was going to be going. I moved to Berkeley and I started Lilith, a women's theater collective. That was the beginning of Lilith Theater. And fortunately, Carolyn, talk about what eventually happened with the men. The men, the men left. I, I don't know. I don't know what their thought process it was. I don't know if they saw the monstrous regiment of women moving for, toward them or if they just, they had threatened the main woman, the woman who stepped up and was arguing with them. She said that they threatened to rape her and oh. I didn't hear that, but I oh, I might have been talking to one guy in particular who seemed softer. I remember somebody I talked to for quite a while saying, look, this is not going to end well with you. And they, they went away. So in that particular instance, Paradise was saved. It's a, it's a reversal in many ways on the Garden of Eden story. And it, it was that year that was one of the very beginnings of the women's music festivals, which went on to be the defining core in some ways of the women's movement for many, many years. 